Hi, everyone. I am Cynthia Garrett, and welcome to Girl Club. We are the place where real girls have real talk about real issues, seeking to apply our very real faith. You know, every week, our goal is to provide you with a look at how to live your life and walk with Jesus from dating to sex to marriage and raising kids. Parenting is a challenge. Life is a challenge, but we want to meet the challenge the way that our Christian faith actually tells us how to meet our challenges. So the whole crew is with us today. That's right. All four Girl Club crew members are here in the house, and I'm blessed to have such an incredible group of women to share, to teach, and to encourage, not just all of you listeners and viewers every week, but each other and me. We get as much as we hope that you do uh, from Girl Club, and we gain as much as we hope that we're giving to each and every one of you every week. So, you know, there are some who've been here from the beginning who know our stories, you know, our testimonies. But as our audience grows each week, I realize more and more that it's important for each and every one of you to truly know our stories and to understand who we are and why we sit here and laugh and cry and dissect the Bible and scripture with you, seeking to apply it to real life challenges every week. In short, I guess, you know, just to introduce each of the other three women, um, and I'm going to do it in short because we're going to take uh, the next few weeks and actually share our testimony. Um, in short, Christi Christina Reynolds, who's here today, is an awesome singer, songwriter, teacher, and evangelist. Christina Boudreaux is a powerful evangelist, a successful plus-size model, and a member of Ryan Reese's The Whosoever's, and Nova Page is a powerful singer, songwriter, teacher, pastor, and evangelist. But there's a lot more, and I don't want you to look at us every week and think that you can't do what we do or achieve the relationship with God that we're achieving daily. I won't say achieved, because the one thing we all know is that every day we're dying to ourselves, and every day we're seeking to live and walk in the spirit and not in our flesh. We aren't perfect. We're not from perfect homes. We're not from perfect backgrounds. Everybody has a story. All of you have a story and all of us have a story. And when that story is given to God, the one thing that I know for certain is that you come to learn that our story is his story, right? It's our history, but it's his story. And he makes messages out of all of our messes. So we're a message. More importantly, each and every one of us is a message and a message that we gladly share of ourselves to each and every one of you and with each other. But again, don't think that there wasn't a mess at one time in our life that God had to work with and that there aren't scars that he still works on every day. So we're devoting some special time to sharing our testimonies with each, with each and every one of you. And today uh, is all about meet Cynthia, meet Nova, meet Christina, meet Christina Boudreaux. Actually, not today. Today and each and every one of these meet each girl episodes, you're going to meet each girl. And unfortunately, or fortunately, you're going to meet me first. So, um. Man, we're going to start or end with four words or, or with a word, maybe a word in a sentence that each of the other girls thinks describes each of the other girls. So I guess it's kind of awkward, but um, Christina Reynolds. So like, 
I guess <laughs> you've got to give me your word first before I share my testimony. So yes. go. <laughs> I have known Cynthia now for a very long time. I feel like I can't even remember before Nikki was born. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so over seven, maybe eight years. And I feel like from the get go, you've always carried this nobility, this royalty about you, not just mm -hmm. by the way you look or the way you dress, but an anointing that you carry in terms of wow. you have this commanding spirit, not a commanding as in like, do what I tell you, but this regal, confidence that just commands attention and commands people to listen and follow and respond. So I, when I think of Cynthia, I always think queen and that's, we use that word queen, we're all queens, but I think of you in the like utmost, like yeah. the power and the, the nobility and the noble birthright and all of that. And then um, the leadership upon you. So mm. my word for you is queen. <laughs> Thank you, CR. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna, not gonna say anything. Nova, receive, receive oh, it. Yeah. Okay. It is so hard to narrow a word for you, Cynthia, but, and I've known you for about probably seven or eight years myself, but when I met you, I, I was like, she is wild for Jesus and she is mm -hmm. wildly in love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. So wild just wild like <laughs> wild just yeah. let's yeah. go let's conquer mm. um unafraid unabashed i'm like yeah. when i think of cynthia i'm like i want her on my team like she's wild for jesus and so i just see yeah. this beautiful white horse racing down a field just wildly yes. breathing speaking living out Jesus. So just wild is my word. Wild. Yes. Okay. Wow. Love that. Okay. I don't, I, I, I don't know what, okay. It's Christina Boudreaux. <laughs> um, well, Cynthia, as, as Nova was, was, share, was sharing about the horse, the word that I got was unbridled and mm. literally just of like, and when you think, when you see the horse in Lord of the Rings, you know, like mm -hmm. with that uh, Gandalf calls out, you know, that beautiful white horse that he rides, like that horse is beautiful and it's running. It's it, that horse is like royalty among all the horses, you know, and when, and that's literally the image that I got too, was this unbridled horse that was just running because so white. when I think of, yes, white, because, oh yeah, literally it's so crazy Nova, because when I think of mm -hmm. like, a horse that's bridled it's like you know for you there's been so many like bridled could be a good or bad thing but in this thing it's a good thing because so many bridled horses you know it's like bridled is like you know parts of your past your story that have tried to bridle you to hold you back you know but unbridled is literally you just running so free and strong and just fierce. Like when I need to know my worth, you know, even the situations you're walking me through right now, I'm like, I'm going to call Cynthia. She's going to remind me, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's like royalty reminds others, you know, of who they are. And so I would definitely say just unbridled because you, you just run just so unapologetically for the Lord and it's amazing. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you listening on podcasts, I, I have tears in my eyes. For those of you watching, <laughs> um, I got to I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm speechless because as I move into sharing my testimony, I guess you know that 
you know, the way other people see you is usually really different than the way that you see yourself. But the way that other people see you when you're walking with Christ is exactly as you want to be seen, if that makes sense. So like each and every one of you nailed something that I would only hope that people Mm -hmm. saw in me. And the crazy thing is for starters, um, my favorite animal from the time I was born has always been a horse. Always. I've always loved horses for their noble, regal, elegant way, their power, the way that they move. And there was a time in my journey at the height of surrender to Christ, um, saved, but hadn't, but, but surrendering on another level, which was bringing me to where we are today, right? With my love of ministry and my love and passion of sharing the gospel. And the Lord said to me, I want you to go and buy a white dress. And I'll never forget it because at the time I had no money to go and spend at this boutique, you know, where I was in Malibu to go and buy a white dress. And I mean, it was, it was weird. This was not like impulse shopping. It was God literally telling me, yeah, okay, yeah, walk over there. Yeah, that's it. I want you to buy that dress and I want you to wear white and that dress is for me. And I knew that there was some significance about God giving me beauty for the ashes that I, I, I'd been through in my life. And I knew that there was a death and a resurrection that was taking mm-hmm. place. And I'm never going to get through my testimony now. And I have to tell you, so like for those of you who may not have ever heard this either on my TBN series or have read it in my book, Prodigal Daughter, my first book, which is my testimony. And, and the byline is a journey home to identity. It's because, you know, I want to, I want to share with you, like I, my struggle to walking powerfully in my identity in Christ was as challenging and as great as the struggles that I think many of you face every day. And that's why a lot of times I think the authority of what I know to be true about the fact that only Jesus saves, only Jesus delivers, only Jesus is the image that we want to model ourselves after and the rock that we want to build our foundations on. I say it with such passion and authority because I I know, I know from my own life and I've just seen it over and over and over again. And I was, I think the foundation of the dis- the attempted destruction of what God was creating was the childhood sexual abuse that I experienced as a little girl. You know, I, I think children are all here to have a pure experience. They're not supposed to be told by adults things about sex and sexuality. They're not supposed to be touched inappropriately. They're not supposed to be dealt with because grownups have agendas. And that's just wrong. Kids are supposed to be dealt with from a place of purity and letting them be and answering only the questions that they ask. And this, of course, makes me a fierce warrior for childhood education. It makes me an activist against programs that seek to indoctrinate our children in schools today. It colors who I am because as a little girl for about a three-year period of time that started when I was around six, maybe, um, I was sexually abused by uh, my older half-brother who was living in our home for a period of time because my mom is a saint and she was trying to help his mother, my father's ex-wife, 
um, deal with her young man of a son. And in turn, my little sister who was four and I were both repeatedly sexually abused for a long time. And um, there was a real <clears throat> lack of self-esteem and shame and guilt and just self-destructiveness that grew in those dark rooms um, as he, you know, as he indulged himself, you know, and destroyed really and truly the fabric and the innocence of my life, you know, and my childhood. And, and so I was always a very old soul. I feel, um, I knew things, I think because I saw the good, the bad and the ugly in humanity and it started super young. And, um, and it, by the time I grew up, you know, I, I entered my teen years, six, 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. And um, I think that demon of uh, sexual perversion was just kind of on my life. And I didn't know anything about spiritual warfare and how to fight at that point. But I got to my teen years and was, was raped by two guys. Um, and it sort of set the stage for me going to high school with really, you know, real strong insecurities about my identity and my worth and um, my value. And my parents got a divorce, um, you know, somewhere around right before the rape. Uh, my father wasn't in the home anymore. And that was really devastating to me because my parents divorced and it, it wasn't like, you know, oh, my dad was horrible. I adored my father and I'm, I'm a daddy's girl and, um, and I adore my mom. And so much of my strength comes from my mom and my dad. And the things they achieved together were amazing, but they just, you know, they, they, they didn't make it, you know, in marriage. And so I'm the oldest of six kids. And I immediately put on the role of, I've got to be the mom when my mom's working and my mom's out of the house. So I was a teenager trying to, you know, parent my five siblings, which in a way was hilarious and, you know, a joke because I needed parenting myself. But I feel like, you know, by the time I hit my 20s, you know, in college, I had so much stuff on my shoulders and I, I gave my heart away, you know, and um, in not in a moment of not guarding my heart, I experienced in my early 20s, a massive heartbreak. You know, I think it was, I'd call it that first experience where you feel like you have a soulmate and then you, um, experience the betrayal of that because he was broken. You know, I love him to this day. We're, you know, and we're friends and we're fine. And I adore his family because his family would then go on to disciple me in Christ in spite of us break, breaking up. And I know there's so much in it. You got to buy the book to get all of it. But um, suffice it to say that I stumbled through my twenties and thirties as most women do uh, having learned to put up walls I mean, my walls had walls. I decided early on I would never give my heart away and I would never give my heart broken again. Um, I felt like I understood men and what controlled them and that the dark side of them was that they wanted what I had. And so I would learn to play them before they ever learned to hurt me anymore. You know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I became very um, adept at being, you know, in a role, every, every, my brokenness and confronting my brokenness years later taught me that in every relationship, 
I was in a role. I really was never fully Cynthia. I was playing a role that fit that relationship. And so, you know, um, I ended up running off um, in my late 20s with a guy that, and I'm jumping around a bit, and chronologically, honestly, you'd have to read my book because it's just, there's a lot, but, um, and I want to make, I want to condense this, uh, but I ended up running off in my late twenties with a guy who, um, was just a really bad guy. And I was rebounding with him from my heartbreak and I ended up in a foreign country and I ended up discovering that I married a very physically abusive, mentally abusive man. And in the literally three weeks that, uh, three months that we knew each other three weeks that we were married, I went on a journey into hell with, you know, demonic manifestations and everything else, realizing that I'd made a huge mistake and married someone who was completely anti-God. And, and oddly enough, in all my pain and confusion at that time in my life, I ran off and married him because I was just hanging out with the wrong people. You know, I was hanging out with people who, you know, did drugs and, you know, drank a lot and partied all the time. They were really famous and wealthy and excess, excess, excess. And I knew that nothing about who I really was as a person was really where I found myself in life. And so I met this guy who said that he loved me and, you know, and pretended to be all these things. And I wanted a way out of my circumstances and out of the pain inside that I was beginning to experience in my mid twenties, because I was beginning to confront the fact that I had been sexually abused and I didn't know what to do with the shame and the pain and the depression and the, I mean, it was out of control, you know? And so and then the heartbreak from breaking up with my ex and his parents who were discipling me. Now they were out of my life. And so this guy comes along and I run off and I get married and end up in a really bad situation. And um, in running off to be married to him about 10 days into our wedding, I discovered him in the car in our honeymoon trafficking drugs. And um, I took the car, threw everything out of the car when he had left me alone after beating me in a hotel room because I was, I kept questioning him and, um, I, we were apparently being watched by the police. He was, they apparently knew that who he was. I didn't, he had a, a whole assumed everything an identity, a life, the whole thing. And I ended up in his circumstances and mess being arrested with him, put into prison. And in my three months in prison, through a series of miracles and an angel appearing to me and then literally manifesting in the form of a nun who brought me a Bible to read for the first time in my life, um, I read the Bible. And I began to encounter God in the New Testament because that's what she gave me. She found I was on an island in Italy. Everyone spoke Italian. I didn't. I taught myself to speak Italian based on things I knew because my grandmother had was Italian. And so... Um, I ended up in this jail cell reading the New Testament for the first time in my life. And I didn't know how to read the Bible. So I just started at the beginning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and I went all the way through Revelation. And I was in that prison for three months. I was detained in Italy um, for almost two years. The reason why I was released from the prison was because somehow in the two week period that I was married to this man before we were arrested and blah, 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 I ended up getting pregnant. And there was an antiquated law on the books in Italy that prevented my um, 
detention in prison, absent a lot of evidence to the contrary. Uh, so long story short, I ended up being released to live out my pregnancy under house arrest. So my mom came over, got a place for me to stay, and I began a series of trials that lasted for the next two years against this man that I had married, whom I knew nothing about. And so that is a whole, you know, uh, before the Amanda Knox story, there was the Cynthia Garrett story. And I kid you not, it was quite a story. And, um, but in my story, and it's the only thing that matters, I met Christ powerfully, powerfully. Mm -hmm. He delivered me from that jail cell. He delivered me from that mess that I was in. Eventually, I came home. It involved a two-day escape through the Swiss uh, Alps. Um, details of that are in my book, but that was a miracle. And I came home with a baby under my arms. And more than anything in the world, that baby that God gave to me saved my life because that's what prevented them from keeping me in prison. And it's the it's what prevented me from killing myself. You know, I fell so low in this story that I was just so suicidal and so ashamed. And so for the first time asking God and getting to know God, you know, I, I was always a believer from the time I was a child. I would always say I, I was a believer, but I didn't know God. It was, you know, it's like saying, I know Christina, but then I, we never have a real heart to heart conversation. You know, I never know that she has pains and hurts and desires, you know, and she never knows about mine. And so I'm passionate about people knowing God because I think a lot of Christians drop the ball on the power of God because we don't allow people to really know our, our, our stories. We don't allow people to really understand that it's in relationship with him, that we truly meet him and find him and come to know him. And, you know, Revelation says, you know, we overcome by the word, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so my testimony is about Christ moving in my life in the most difficult experiences. And to be honest with you, you know, I would never trade that horribly abusive marriage at all because I have my son whom I really would die for, you know? And more than anything, it was the foundation that was laid in meeting Christ in that prison that allowed me to come home and over another period of time, and surrender and another journey into my brokenness and really dealing and confronting with my childhood sexual abuse, my rape, my brokenness, the, the parts of my emotions that broke as a little girl that allowed me to carry fear, doubt, insecurity, shame, low self-esteem, self-destructiveness. I mean, why would I have abused drugs or alcohol? Because I was in pain you know, because there are broken parts and because the voice of the enemy says, you're just not worth anything. God didn't die for you. He couldn't because you're such a sinner. Like your sin is worse than everyone else's, right? I know what the voice of the enemy tells to people and, and tells to each and every one of you because I've heard it all before in my own mind. And so I honestly, you know, I was saved for many years and had this beautiful son and God blessed me with this career on television that I dreamed of as a little girl, but I wasn't surrendered. I surrendered in that jail cell when I got saved, but then there was another level of surrender that came years later. And it was a surrender to really and truly let Jesus Christ be Lord of my life and live and walk in what 
I call lifestyle Christianity. You know, my life didn't reflect Christ on the throne at many seasons, you know, even after I was saved. And I, I believe it does a lot more now for sure. And, um, so my journey to surrender was really about confronting my brokenness. Um, in all of that, I also became a cancer survivor. Um, my son prayed his first healing prayers at 15 years old. And I believe that that, I believe that he healed me through his prayers, you know, because I knew for a fact in a hospital bed for a month, at for a month, you know, not knowing what kind of cancer they'd taken out of my stomach after my son prayed for me, I knew that I was going to live, you know, and the rest was just waiting on the good reports. And, um, more than anything, it's like, you know, I never wanted, I, I never respected marriage. So I ran off and got married willy nilly and, and, and I got what I got. I think in a lot of ways, because I didn't even understand that marriage is a covenant that's made before the Lord back then. I get it now. And when God brought the man into my life who adopted my son and became his father and taught me about marriage for real, like when I really learned what what a partner is and when I really surrendered to God, allowing God to choose my spouse and to walking in celibacy, even though I never walked in it before, you know, it was only at that moment of a deep surrender on another level that the transformation began to happen in my life and in crucifying my flesh and in giving all of my fears and my doubt and my shame and everything to the Lord, taking it all to him every day, God was able to bless me with a marriage and with the right everything. And, um, so I don't sit before you today having come from, you know, a perfect storm. I come from a very imperfect storm and a world of dysfunction and sex and drugs and rock and roll and TV shows and movies and all of the Hollywood glamour that goes with it. But it, it was all there to mask and hide um, a lot of pain and a lot of knowledge because I always knew that God created me for more than just being famous on television. I knew it. I knew it. And it's why I would watch women like Joyce Meyer and think to myself, now she's really teaching women how to walk authentically in Christ. And at the times I was on my own daytime talk shows. I had my own late night TV programs, but I would literally sit on the sets of those shows knowing that we weren't giving women anything. We were giving them makeup tips and how to date a guy, how to snag a guy, how to look good for a guy. I mean, it's Cosmopolitan magazine, right? How to have better sex, how to do everything but surrender your life to Jesus Christ and have a real life of power and abundance. You really want to be a queen? You have to meet the one and only king. And that, so for you guys to see that in me um, is everything. Because I'm telling you, I met my king, his name is Jesus. And from the time I gave him true lordship over my life, he's done nothing but change my garments into garments of nobility, garments of worship and praise. And and it's all been him. And even though I may not recognize it all the time, because you know, we struggle, right? We struggle with our stuff and we're still defeating the voice of the enemy in our, 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 our mind. And we're still dealing with the people 
that may have dropped us and abused us as children or that disappointed us or whatever it is, those people that judged us without really knowing our story or our pain, right? We deal with those things. So to have fellowship with women that recognize truly my kingdom position helps me to recognize my kingdom position. And I don't run from claiming it anymore, man. I won't. I will not play small anymore. I committed myself to that a few years ago. My adopted Jewish father looked at me one day and he said, and he said in a very crude way, um, hey, if they can't stand your light, you know, toss them, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and, 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 and he was right. He's like, well, kids, you've been through enough. You've earned your stripes and you really and truly, you really believe what it is that you preach. He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew. I don't know your Jesus. You've made me want to know your Jesus. And that was from a seven-year-old man who I would I, I adore to this day because he was part of the gift that God gave me of men who recognized the greatness in me without trying to sleep with me. They just wanted to speak life into me and power into me. And so, yeah, you know, like Mandela spoke Marianne Williamson's words, the world gains nothing by me playing small. The world gains mm-hmm. nothing by any of you playing small. Christina, never play small. Christina, never play small. Nova, never play small. For all of you watching, never play small. The world gains nothing. But I think when you're the biggest is when you're the loudest and the boldest about your testimony of what Christ has done in your mess. The world doesn't need a bunch of glory stories. The world needs the glory story. The world needs to see the glory in your story and the glory in each and every one of our stories is Jesus. If we let him mm. take us and make a message and um, nothing yeah. else matters more, more than that to me. And I'm here, I know, to encourage other women and men to fly. Be all that God created you to be. Don't be all that the world is trying to tell you that you are. Question the voice of the world because it is echoing the voice of the enemy really loudly. Your identity does not come from TV shows or magazines or books unless those books are teaching you about your identity in Christ. And um, yeah, that's that's my story, you know, and um, that's where he brought me from. And I see things and I see Jesus very differently today than I did even uh, 20, well, 30 years ago now when I first got saved because my son's 29 and I got saved when I was pregnant with him. So I mark my walk with Christ by my son's age every year. So I see it much differently now. Becoming mature in Christ is the greatest gift you can give yourself because then you yeah. arrive at that place where you really don't care what people think. You only care what Jesus mm-hmm. thinks. I don't know. I don't need the validation of all of you watching. Some of you may get angry because I'm not perfect and I may say or do the wrong thing at some point in, you know, in girl club. But guess what? You too might do or say the wrong thing at some point in your journey through your life. And I want you to have as much compassion for me as you would want me to have for you and for each and every girl here. We don't come to you pretending to be perfect. We just come to you pretending to be committed to working our stuff out with Christ and to sharing the lessons that he's teaching us. And the reason why I have each and every woman here with me every week is because 
I'm telling you, I've been through a lot. I've earned the right to say this woman is a powerfully anointed teacher and and an evangelist in her own right. And she's talented. And I I know I've earned that right because I know how to call it. I know how to pick them. And I have chosen each and every one of you three because God showed me how he chose each and every one of you three to be right here, you know, and as surely as he's given me a message that it is time for the Esters to rise around the world, you three are the Esters rising and you're supposed to help. And that's just what I believe we're here to do. And um, I am so grateful to all of you for being a part of this girl club journey, more grateful than, you know, and I really hope that through us, God can do some great things by powerfully impacting the lives of viewers and listeners who are watching, who are great people waiting to be told that they're great. They have a great calling and that there may be great things to overcome, but he will never leave you or forsake you. So, I mean, that's my testimony for this week. I don't know if any of you want have anything that you want to say or comment, but... Um, yeah, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you gotta go to the bathroom. I love it. <laughs> let's uh, let let's let's end right there. You know, um, thank you for being a part of Girl Club. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. And you get to meet someone else. I'm Cynthia Garrett. We'll see you soon. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.